Hello and welcome back to the Southwest Tech Daily Podcast. I'm Robert Hillier and my co-host is Fayaz Akam. And this month we're talking to Agile on the Beach organisers. Next year's tickets go on sale very soon. We've built something really special and we need to be very aggressively protective over that. And we've also got Edward Tellwright talking to us about diversity in banking. Really hot topic and it's part of the bank's job to to raise that awareness so that people see it as an issue. And we talked to Caroline Orr from the Programme Agency about why marketing for startups is now more important than ever. People are kind of still very much need hand-holding around how to actually build a marketing strategy. You're listening to the Southwest Tech Daily podcast. First of all, let's hear from Gwen Diagram and Gary Hunt from Software Cornwall, who talked to us about this year's Agile on the Beach conference, which happens every year in July at Falmouth University. We really focused on getting a lot more product people talking this year, and I think it really added to it. So we had a whole bunch of new people come, and yeah, it was great. Gary, how much of a challenge is it every year to keep coming up with new ideas and keeping things fresh? Because it's such a it's such an important point on the calendar for so many people. Are expectations higher every year for, for the people who go? Expectations for Agile on the Beach are always tremendously high. Uh, we've been running now for almost 13 years. Uh, you know, consistently, we only had the break during the uh, during the dreaded C-word, um, and we got back to that very quickly after that. And I think uh, it's it's probably it's probably a bit of a cliche to say this, but you know, software developers, agile enthusiasts, our kind of core audience that comes along to this, this is their this is one of their big social events for the year, and it's that it's a real opportunity for them to talk to, network with, and and kind of just get together with their peers and people that that do similar jobs to them. Um, some of them are often in, you know, one man or very small teams. Um, so they don't actually get an opportunity to talk to people that do a similar job to them very often. And, and this is a real, uh, really important uh, part for them. Um, and I've said it many, many times. I I strongly believe that about 60% of our audience uh, enjoy the social events just as much, if not a little bit more than the actual conference speakers. And what a better place to do it than Cornwall because it's beautiful and you know even if people are coming from outside I say you know outside the big city it's actually really really nice for them as well to be able to experience Cornwall in this relaxed atmosphere but also a really really positive and um, really beneficial to their businesses. I'm not from Cornwall um, and I hadn't been to Cornwall for any tech things before I first started going to Agile on the Beach and I absolutely love being exposed to the tech community in Cornwall because it is absolutely amazing. There's such a great scene um, and I'm really proud to be part of Agile on the Beach so I can help like grow the Cornish tech scene a little bit uh, up from Leeds where I live. Yeah, and I mean, from my perspective, Cornwall has a very special place in my heart. I mean, I don't live there, but I live very, very close. Uh, lots of family and my uh, and my very close friends live there. And we get to go to, I think, probably one of the best uh, places in Cornwall, which is Falmouth. It's a wonderful, like really nice seaside kind of town. Um, but it has lots of all the kind of modern stuff you expect. And it's not the traditional Cornwall that people expect when they come down here there's there's there you know there's not it's not full of cows it's not full of surfers it's not full of pasties it it has a really exciting kind of uh, entrepreneurial spirit in the town um, and it's just a genuinely really lovely place to go uh, that the actual Falmouth University where we hold the event is is in one of the nicest parts of the county I think I remember as well um 
of five or six years ago. I can't remember when it was, but it was quite new, Agile on the Beach. And how long has it been going now? It's been running now since 2011. 2011. Um, so it's been going for a really long time. But I think certainly, like you say, in the last five or six years, and I think Gwen would probably agree that it's it's exploded almost in terms of popularity. It's really, really hit its kind of peak, yeah. sadly. I, I think after COVID, actually, it, it definitely was something positive for, for the tech scene in Southwest in general. I remember when Agile on the Beach first started, I never attended and always wanted to. But what, whenever you read the testimonials afterward, it's always so positive. People always come out of it with something really, really good. I mean, like you said, the social events are really, really great. But there's also a lot for people to be uh, to be learning. Yeah, definitely. Um, our speaker committee worked really, really hard on getting a fantastic lineup of speakers. Um, we spend a good two to three months every year uh debating discussing and then and then inviting speakers and, and getting people to put in uh speaker submissions for that so like that's the that is the most i think important part of the event um and from my perspective you know we wouldn't be able to run the event without speakers whatsoever um i am very happy every year to completely remove myself from that process and hand it over to these guys because they they are the experts in their field they they know the right people to to get hold of and they they have this innate ability to recognize a fantastic talk just from how someone writes something on the on the paper um so it's it's fantastic i think it's probably really important to say as well in the southwest in general it's it's a really underrated but really great tech uh, tech industry in general. We've got lots of community organizations similar to Agile on the Beach, and we've got Software Cornwall, we've got Digital Plymouth, we've got Tech Exeter, we've got Digital Somerset, just to name a few. Um, and I know there are other smaller organizations and similar sized organizations all around the Southwest that, that we work together to try really hard to, you know, get us up to the same uh, as that digital powerhouse that is up in the uh, up in the north and up in the Midlands. Gwen, what is your pitch to speakers when you want to attract them down? And how, how much persuasion do people take now? And do you ever get the reaction, what, some, this is happening in Cornwall? Are you, you know, is, this, is this something that you, know, you really want me to be part of? We've uh, definitely put how, uh, how long it takes to get to Cornwall on the speaker submission now. Um, because in the past, people have been really surprised at how far away Cornwall is. But a lot of the time, people are really excited because Cornwall isn't a place that a lot of people from overseas will generally get to go to. And when they go, it's such a beautiful place. It's generally not too much trouble to get people down. And once they go down, they always want to come back. We get so many repeat speaker submissions. I used to live in Cornwall. Well, Robert and I used to. And honestly, we live in Devon now. It's not that different. But quite often I, I, I say, oh, I wish we were still in Cornwall. I miss it. I miss it so much. I can't tell you. But... Tell me, what are your topics from this? Oh, it sounds like topics, but I mean like top picks from uh, speakers this year. What were the best things that you heard or learned or anecdotes that you can uh, relay for us? Yeah, so I really loved that we focus more on product because it's something that I really want to learn about. Uh, in my day job, I'm a head of engineering. And I work really closely with product. But I don't always get exposed to product thoughts. So the keynote speaker, Jeff Gothel's talk, which was about how we can use OKRs in product, which was so exciting. I also really love Niha Dat's talk on product management and design. I thought that was really good. But then our last keynote speaker. So we always have the last keynote speaker, someone from the community, um, an up and coming person. And Kerry just absolutely 
smashed it. She talked a lot about how your brain thinks about different confrontations in tech. And it was wonderful. You always come away so energized from what people are talking about. And what I'm like talking about at work now is directly related to what I learned at Agile on the Beach. And what about you, Gary? What were your topics? There was a really cool, uh, Alan Kelly, obviously, is a fantastic speaker anyway. He is on the speaker committee. I am a little bit biased. Um, but having only ever got to speak to Alan over Zoom, uh, and this was my first time in about two or three years of getting to actually meet Alan in real life. Um, and I really enjoyed the bits of Alan's talk that I saw. He was he's such an engaging and interesting speaker in what could be a very boring topic. Um, so he does a fantastic job of that. So there was a great talk also from a speaker called Arta. And he started off uh, playing his ukulele as people were walking in. And, and I was instantly suspicious, but it ended up being fantastic. And he's another, uh, you can tell, a very polished, a very practiced and a really great speaker. And it's just great to have that level of person uh, you know, with us. And, and from the community side of things, uh, we had Emily King, who was talking about how to unlearn writing. Um, and I remember seeing her do one of her first talks about uh, about 18 months ago. And it was just really great to see the progression of uh, how much better she's got. Um, it was great the first time I saw her speaking, and now she's even better at it. So it's it's great to see the progression of speakers that you know with Agile Beach, which has that, I don't know, for me, it's a, it's a nice that we have a mixture of really professional and really kind of ready to go speakers and that kind of pipeline of up and coming speakers coming in through through these events. I love how you said um, you were instantly suspicious of the guy with the ukulele. That's hilarious because I would be as well. I would be, I'd be like, oh, why does he need a gimmick? But actually, you know, it does work. So even if you're a good yeah. speaker, sometimes it's good to get people's attention, right? It, um, it absolutely works. And he brought the ukulele to the beach party as well. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Uh, Gary, how have you seen uh, the event change over the years in terms of the content, the attendees, people's expectations? If you know, if, if you if you go back a decade, how would it how how has it evolved? It's a that's a bit of a difficult question because I've been attending probably for about five or six years and running the event for the last two or three. Um, but I, I know from, you know, uh, from feedback and other people, you know, in the biggest way that it has changed is it has got exponentially bigger you know we, we've gone the original event almost 12 years ago now was about 100 or so people and we we average anywhere between 450 to 500 people depending on depending on the day and things like that so size it has grown and I think uh, that has helped us to attract some really big names in in this agile kind of space I know all of our keynotes anybody you know, a quick Google, if you didn't know about those people, those those keynotes were really well thought of and really, uh, really made people quite excited to come along. And I certainly for the last two or three years, we've been in a place where we've been able to attract those those big name keynotes. Um, and I think the effort that we put in and the professionalism that, that goes in and around the event, it doesn't feel like some little event in Falmouth University which it very much could do. It feels like a really polished, really professional event um, that is well worth the ticket price and and, and there's real value in, in coming to that, which is a really difficult thing to do for, for any event, least of all an, an event this size. You mentioned the the price and you said that it you know, feels like a big event, etc. Next year, what are we expecting? The most exciting thing about next year is we're back in what I would say is our home, which is the Amata building in Falmouth University. 
thing that I enjoy the most about Agile on the Beach is you turn up to Agile on the Beach and it doesn't feel like a conference. The Amata building is like a big theatre, student type theatre they have on Falmouth University. It's a very dramatic building. There are very tall rooms and high ceilings and there's there's black curtains everywhere. And it's just, it's it's an imposing but yet really inviting building to come in. Um, and, and like I say, it's not like any conference that you go to, which is really makes the it makes the social event the social side of things very exciting um it does make audience control quite difficult because it's spread across three levels um so it you know dragging people in and out of buildings and making sure that they are they are happy and content all the time is definitely a challenge but um i think for me that i'm most excited we've had a break from that building and we can go back in with uh, with a fresh pair of eyes and we can take some of the fun stuff that we did this year uh, and, and move that across. Um, there's lots of uh, my, uh, as Gwen will probably agree with, I am the one that comes up with the slightly insane ideas. And then I often have to be talked down by the rest of the team. Um, so uh, we, with, with this year, especially, I we had some like inflatable palm trees um, and we had some cool kind of wall vinyl graphics that we had in the building that we'd have never done before. And I had to I had to quite aggressively uh, fight for, but I managed to get them. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing more kind of fun, experiential stuff like that. Um, I think one of the most exciting things I think we're looking at doing next year for me, we're going to look at introducing uh, a, a more kind of retail type area to Agile Beach. So we're going to give uh, conference attendees the opportunity to to talk to uh, to retail companies like uh, Agile Stationery um, and possibly a, a local company called Bird Sunglasses. So uh, to talk to them about potentially buying stuff and potentially looking at buying stuff for their for their industry, but we want to do that in a really unsales way, and so it doesn't feel like we're we're put, forcing them in front of people. So. Uh... I think that Gary's just getting into the swing of things with his quite out there ideas. So I'm uh, I'm definitely hoping to see more out there ideas from Gary because I love them and I will back him up on those mad ideas. Also, I think what people can really expect when they come to Agile on the beach is the great sense of community. And that's just getting stronger every single year. And just finally from me, do you think that um, it will always be Falmouth? Is Falmouth a key part of Agile on the beach or do you think it might get so big one day that guys were going to need a bigger beach? I think that's an excellent question. It is a question we ask ourselves constantly and to be quite honest we always come back to the fact that Falmouth is our home without a doubt. From my perspective I can't think of anywhere else in Cornwall I would want to go. I can't think of anywhere else in Cornwall that could fit the amount of people that we want. I think there has been many talks over the years that we could potentially run other Agile on the Beaches in other countries and other parts of the UK. And it always comes down to the fact that, yeah, we could do that, but do we ruin the, and I hate this as a word, but I'm going to use it. Do we ruin the vibe of Agile on the Beach by adding stuff that we don't need? I, I think, what, like Gwen says, the community that we've built and the general feeling that you get from Agile on the Beach is so, so important to the event that anything that we, if we ever thought about making it bigger or moving or changing in any way, we'd have to do that really, really carefully. We've built something really special and we need to be, we need to be very 
aggressively protective over that, I would say. Gwen Diagram and Gary Hunt from Software Cornwall. They are the organisers of Agile on the Beach, which is basically Cornwall's answer to TEDx. Follow Gary's instructions if you want to get in on tickets or get in touch with Gwen if you want to be a speaker. It sounds extremely fun, so get involved. Absolutely. Now, next up, I spoke to Caroline Orr from Program about the importance of a marketing strategy for your startup marketing theory applies to all sectors but what you need to then start thinking about is you know what is specific to that particular sector so in regards to the tech sector i would say thinking about things like the pace of change in terms of technology and innovation one of the big things is the complexity things like regulation need to be considered quite often we find there's lots of there's sort of many stakeholders involved and it can be quite a long sales cycle and also of course with a lot of technology there's the potential for a global reach so I think in terms of, you know, those are the sort of things that need to be considered. But as with any kind of marketing, it's all really key to sort of know the customer, the audience, think about how you can position yourself to those priority audiences and then prioritise getting those. Because quite often we, we often speak to people who are kind of like, the potential market is huge, but there's lots of different audiences. We want to target everybody. Blah, and then it goes, you know, it goes crazy and again like with any other kind of marketing or any sector it's all around your kind of key messages having a really strong strategy in place and making sure you measure and review the activity and the other thing I think is important to mention is in terms of focus marketing one of the key things we find when we're talking to customers is not just thinking about the product and the technology thinking about the real world difference so the the impact and the human stories piece that's one of sort of the key things we find people are sort of so engrossed in the tech forget to think about the impact bit and the stories around that mm. it's one one of the things we find a lot doing this we speak to some amazing extremely terrifyingly intelligent people yeah you've invented the most incredible products and obviously you research before you interview them and sometimes you go onto yeah. their website and it's not always easy and they they're the first to admit this even after you have a good hunter and you can't it's not always actually easy to know what they actually do because they're so immersed yeah. in, 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 in the complexity of what they're, of what they're doing. And so much, so much, I think often, particularly at the early stage, those relationships are quite B2B, aren't they? How, how hard is it to kind yeah. of the essence of what, you know, without, without sort of saying, yeah, but you're making it too simple. You're, you're, you know, it, it, it is this complex. It needs to be this hard. It can, can that be a challenge? a lot of companies it, it is challenging yeah but it's I sort of like to think of it in kind of layers we have this scenario all the time so you start talking to it it sounds amazing and we know you know it's super innovative technology but what we actually need to do is kind of like take it back to basics initially to kind of you know get the sort of basic layman terms understanding and kind of then build up layers from there in terms of kind of wording and messaging I that, that's often the way sort of I approach it is thinking about kind of if you had to describe this in very basic terms, slightly more complex, slightly, and then you kind of like think about what wording then you would need for different audiences. Has that changed a little bit? I mean, I think it's um, it can be, it can probably be ever more tempting. I would think if you are if you are involved in a tech, particularly a startup now, to maybe think you can do a lot of this yourself with all the tools yeah. that are available to you, particularly with with ChatGPT as well. Do you do you think yeah. that people are now more willing, at least at the start, to try and give it a go? before they come to you? I think they do. But we, I think people we're speaking to now realise that 
those tools amazing as they are and they're helping you know there's so much potential to help us all do a better <laughs> better job obviously the output is only as good as the input and actually you still got to think strategically and still got to sort of know what what you're trying to get out of them it, when I'm talking in sort of context of terms of kind of marketing stuff we find that people still really need help with that the guidance of where to begin what are they actually asking for so yeah I think people are kind of keen to kind of give those things a go but but still very much need hand-holding around like how to actually kind of build a marketing strategy and yes those tools could certainly help but actually we find that people still want that kind of human experience and I'm sure that if you do for example in chat GPT say build me a marketing strategy for this business what may come out might maybe is baffling to people who don't have experience <laughs> yeah exactly Exactly, like terminology and things like that. And it's been so long, you know, exactly. And actually, the trust element isn't there. Well, you know, how I'm sure there's some success stories, but it's probably a mixed approach, you know, using AI and ChatGPT for certain elements of different bits in regards to marketing. But I think it's still early days in terms of people trusting fully that it's going to be your, your marketing department, essentially. Yeah, yeah. The, f- the first bullet point says first segment and target your market. And then, right, okay, I'm lost already before, uh, before I yeah. can know the next. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the, ba- you know, the basic theoretical kind of planning in terms of marketing and the experience and being able to talk, I think I, I would really find it difficult to understand about how you could, so if I go in and speak to a client and talk about sort of previous experiences and like mar- with marketing strategy and consult- in my consulting work, I just don't know how that could be re- replicated really easily by, by by AI, and also it's the conversational bit as well. You know, you know, again with a new client, we'll have a two or three hour session, and it's it's so interactive and conversational. I just I'm not sure that AI could replace that yet. Are people still willing to to spend money? I know it. I know when I've previously helped companies out when I was at Falmouth University, they don't anticipate mm. that there can that there that there should be or they don't they don't factor in a cost to a lot of things. And, and mm. you know, and, you, and I'm sure you still hear people say things like, I just want to make some viral content. Like that's the thing that you just <laughs> yes. you can just yeah. do. Are people are people getting getting a bit more clued up in terms of what this what this kind of work actually costs. Yeah, it, <laughs> Some are, some aren't. You speak to some people who totally sort of think, right, I know I need to have a marketing budget. No, I need to really invest in that. And then others are kind of like, oh, God, I haven't, you know, we've got a website. I haven't really thought about, you know, what else we need to spend on marketing, particularly on that sort of strategic piece. Um, so it is a bit of a mix. But, um, and yeah, and it got, you know, organics definitely still exist, but, you know, it takes longer. And also it's better that sort of using organic is great, really, for sort of longer term brand building ex- exercises. Um, you know um but actually organic stuff is harder for sort of short-term lead generation to be honest and this is a sort of a typical marketing thing but it's a mix <laughs> it's just a mix that's that's right for your your business and your audiences it's, it's usually the best thing just you know you can focus or put, or put more emphasis on one particular channel but usually you'll find that your your audiences are, on, are kind of in different places so your digital content might be 80 percent of what you do but actually then the other 20 percent might be kind of in-person events and networking for example which you know there is some kind of cost attached to usually yeah it's a, it's a bit of a mix but um i think within terms of sort of paid stuff paid media is getting more expensive but actually more paid digital stuff means you get better analytics so it enables you to track your roi and then you, some would argue that that can then be used 
to budget more effectively. So you, the money you do spend can be spent more effectively, essentially. There's definitely still a place for organic, whether that's as a brand or as individuals. But I think it's just being realistic about some results. I think we still find that people think posting on LinkedIn is going to get them loads of leads. And actually, we're kind of always explaining it's part of the part of the mix. You can't expect necessarily a bit of thought leadership on LinkedIn to, to suddenly bring in those and be a lead generation campaign, essentially. If, if you looked at one of your own marketing plans from, say, five years ago, do you think you'd be surprised by some of the elements that are on it now? I mean, for example, does does mainstream media coverage still play a part in, in what you might try and do for a company I think so I think there's sort of lots of different sort of things have come about and a lot I'm trying to think what would be sort of more um, prominent in the last five years that wouldn't have been I think personal brand has become quite a big thing in the last few years I would say more of a kind of a something that we talk to you know pretty much every client that we're working with about in, and that's in, not in, just, in term in terms of bringing what bringing the founders to the to the fore a little bit not more just and, not just found, not there's just founders just founders and teams and just having people at the first at the sort of the, at the center of, of companies and yeah what how powerful that can be um, obviously again it depends on the on the business but yeah absolutely and, and yeah talking to founders and their teams around what they can do personally not you know and their networks and so on so i think that's something that's definitely in the last few years has been more prominent Green marketing, sustainability marketing has, has grown a lot as well. Talking about like brand communities and, and building communities, that's something I'm not sure we would have been talking about in the same way five years ago. Uh, obviously, AI and sort of automation. Content marketing. I think content marketing was still was huge five years ago. We've been talking about sort of storytelling content marketing, I'd say, for at least 10 years, maybe longer. In the last five years, the space has got even more crowded and it's just getting more and more crowded. So many channels. It's never been more important to be really clear about your differentiation and your clear and have a clear brand proposition to be able to sort of stand out because the competition is is strong and that yeah the sort of the fight for for audience's attention is 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 bigger than ever you know obviously as you say there's more content than ever there's more people vying for attention than ever i think it's interesting that there's actually although in terms of the platforms there's nothing really new is there that that wasn't here five years ago there's been no kind of disruptor or a new entrant into the market in terms of actually distributing that content is there? So yeah. it's like using those platforms that already exist they seem to be so embedded now Yes, exactly. I mean, I guess people using TikTok, that's probably one of the big, you know, the big, big change in the last few years. Um, and I think LinkedIn has grown quite a lot as well, I would say over the last five years. But yeah, I agree with you. I guess it's, you know, there are new and emerging platforms, but actually just the way people use them. The, the very successful and award-winning campaign that you ran and is still going on about, um, uh, I don't know what the, uh, what the, exact title is but around making women around extra feel safer uh on the streets yes. it, may, it may it may well have a formal title it's particularly interesting because it's because it's so traditional in so many ways isn't it it's a very simple mm. message black and red text on a white background on posters mm. um mm. what is it about that particular campaign tell us a bit more about it because it's interesting anyway and how, how it came about and what the brief was and how you decided to work in that way but what what yeah. um what learning do you think you've taken out of doing something so kind of obvious and simple and bold 
Mm. Okay, yeah, so this, the campaign was for Safer Exeter. So, and the specific um, element of this campaign was around encouraging safe and informed bystander intervention if people witness female harassment. And the sort of the call to action for the campaign was to sign people up to bystander intervention training run, run by experts kindling interventions in this field. When we first looked at contracts for developing this campaign, we came up with sort of a variety of different creative concepts. This was always our favourite from the beginning because we just felt it, looking at the target audience and looking at sort of other sort of, I guess, impactful campaigns in the kind of similar sort of space we just felt it just needed to be really simple and bold the sort of other option we had was more complexly creative and everyone was a bit like wow in the beginning of, of, of that option but we knew this would be the, the the best one to go for because what you don't want to do is make it too overly complex and too overly creative when it's a really kind of very in some ways simple message in terms of winning the award the campaign set out what it achieved to do which was to get signups for the training and it that happened really quickly and in fact they ended up putting a lot a lot more training courses on the results you set out to achieve is kind of one of the critical things i think also the success of the campaign is because of uh, you know it was a dig- it was a it was a mix it was a digital and outdoor campaign what's been great is that so many people when we post about it online, we'll say they've seen it offline as well. So I kind of like that, the fact that, you know, people are noticing that it's, it's we haven't just done pure digital, it has been a mix. Caroline Orr from Programme. Come and join, Come the, and conversation join the conversation on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn. Southwest, Southwest Tech Daily. Daily. Next up, here's our interview with Edward Talwright from British Business Bank on the funds available to startups in the Southwest. The bank's mission and purpose for being here is to help or make easier access to finance for smaller businesses. Within the larger purpose of driving prosperity and sustainability throughout the UK and moving towards net zero, within that, supporting early stage businesses access finance and making that that job easier. Now, lots of businesses don't know where to go, don't know who to speak to, don't know what kind of finance or money is available or right for them. And that could be all the way from a somebody that's setting up a window cleaning business that, you know, has just left their job or and has no idea where to start through to a business that's already raised a couple of million and is trading profitable and is now looking for the next stage of their growth journey. So they can be anywhere on that spectrum for me to engage with them and try and support them. It's probably important to say that we can't provide advice, so I can't advise anybody to go and do anything, but can very much give them an overview all stages really um, and, and and it's the bank's job to do that as i say we work with startup businesses startup loans program as i've mentioned previously does five i think about 500 pounds to twenty-five thousand pounds so if you're really early stage and all you need is a thousand pounds to start your business and you don't know where to go and you end up on my doorstep then we can have a chat and this startup loans package that you're and you're talking about now it's different to the 200 million pound southwest investment fund that you've launched yeah completely different offering the startup loans offering i'm talking about is through the startup loans company you can access 500 pounds to twenty-five thousand pounds per director up to a maximum of four directors so a startup business could access up to hundred thousand pounds now that's the top figure the interest rate is fixed at six percent and i don't know of that any plans to change that the best thing to do for any business anyone that's within that three-year time period of starting their business that's interested in that in that product is reach out to the startup loans company the team will be more than happy to talk you through it the simple process and the documents that you need to pull together 
Um, there are regional delivery partners uh, throughout the UK. So there will be someone local to the business in each region in the Southwest. We've got a delivery partner. They'll talk you through the process. The £200 million fund that you mentioned is a new offering. So that's part of a spending package of about £1.6 billion that's come out from the government recently. And it's a new funds programme that the bank is, is managing and overseeing. The Southwest is, is, is one of a number of new funds. So Midlands Engine, which I'm sure you, 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 you may have heard about, and the Northern Powerhouse have their own funds or had their own funds already. They are now on their second rounds. The Southwest, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are actually getting first stage of their funds. So the £200 million coming to the Southwest yeah, is, the, is, is the first fund for the entire Southwest region. It actually builds on the work that the Cornwall and Isles of Scilly Investment Fund originally started. So that there was already a fund in the Southwest, but it was Cornwall specific. So the 200 million is southwest wide, so all the way from Cornwall, across the Dorset, up through Swindon, Gloucester, Bristol, the whole of the southwest um, is at 200 million. So, yes, they are separate, separate programmes. How important is it to actually include the entire southwest and, and to start investing in this region so that it can become the burgeoning hub? It's striving to be immensely important. There are pockets within the southwest that do very well already the likes of Exeter and Bristol. I'm from Bristol. It is the, it's, it's sort of known as the gateway to the Southwest. It's a big, it's a big pull for lots of businesses. So Bristol does bring in a lot of investment. Exeter brings in a lot of investment. There are hubs across the Southwest. What the fund is aiming to do is level that playing field. So not all the cash is going to go to Bristol and it's going to go to Exeter. You know, the, the fund team and the fund managers have built within that structures to allow the cash to be deployed across the region. It's an underserved region. Most regions are outside of London. We, all regions don't pull their, their weight for the number of businesses that they have because London is such a big draw. And there are a huge number of businesses that, that need and want and require finance here. So it's the job of the of the fund to increase that supply and diversity of early stage finance for businesses in the Southwest. You know, there's lots of businesses that might go to the bank or might not get equity or a certain type of, of funding because within the risk profile of that lender or investor, this business doesn't quite fit. And that's the gap that this 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 fund is is aiming to, to, to fill. So it's it's hugely important. Recently, we've we've produced a, a report on the small business equity tracker. Actually, the Southwest was one of, I think it was three regions to actually increase the number of equity deals done uh, by 4%. So up to, I think it's up to about 150, 155, something like that, number of equity deals done, published equity deals done. So that's up 4%. But the number of, or the amount of investment that was put into the region was down 30%. So more deals being done by a very small margin, but the amount of money put, being put into those businesses is down by a third, basically. So this fund is vital to supporting those earlier stage businesses and provide a bit of gap funding for them. Which industries would you say need this more or, or are lacking in, in funding and will benefit the most in the region? I can't lie, it's, going to be, it's difficult to pin down a specific sector or industry. However, leisure and tourism, the southwest, lovely part of the world. Uh, it's, even, it's even sunny outside while I look now, surprisingly. Leisure and tourism it gets hit hugely, especially with what's happened recently with COVID and coming out of COVID and interest rates and cost of living. Leisure and tourism is being hit immensely hard. So I'm sure that those businesses, if they're applicable and eligible for the support, uh, for the funding, will, will benefit greatly. However, you'd have to speak to the fund managers themselves, but it's 
pretty sector agnostic. There will be certain sectors uh, that, that the fund managers won't touch, um, as you would expect with 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 government government funds. Um, so there will be certain sectors that they can't touch or won't support. But it is there to support all businesses that can't access uh, commercial capital at the moment. So, but within that, if you're going to push me on it, then leisure and tourism has, has really struggled recently. Yeah, actually, that does seem like a good industry here to to push. And I, I think also in within tech and tech Southwest and on this podcast, what we also try and demonstrate is that while leisure and tourism is going to be a great industry, what we also feel is there's so much innovation happening in the region. We have companies creating eco-waste platforms and their companies creating for 30, 40 years packaging that is suited to microscopes. There's so there's so much happening in the region that it's actually quite a wide variety that funds are able to support. It's changed so much in the last 20 years even, just how innovative everywhere is in, in the region. Immensely. The region itself never ceases to amaze me how such exciting propositions can come out of the middle of nowhere, you know, in the middle of Devon, the middle of Taunton or Somerset or or Dorset, you know, just all of a sudden this immensely innovative business that's solving such a such a exciting area of, of, of business or people's lives just just crops up. Um and the infrastructure needs to be put in place to support those businesses in addition to the fund. Um, you know, it's great that the, the, the fund at 200 million is coming. There's lots of people that are out there saying, you know, it's not enough. And if money was endless, then we wouldn't have this issue. It's a start. Um, but the work that, you know, you do at Tech Southwest and supporting those exciting businesses. I've been to a number of, 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 of your events, uh, spoken and, and supported them. And just the breadth of, of of businesses within tech uh, is 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 staggering. Uh, let alone, you know, the wider business community and industry. I think COVID have a, had a big impact on digitalizing and innovating within businesses. You know, businesses were pushed to innovate, and realizing what tech can do for businesses is crucial for them to grow. It's a great region. Innovation is is spread across it. And just tell me a little bit more about the fund itself, the the two hundred million pound fund. When people apply, it's a loan, right? And what's like what's the nitty gritty of it? Like, what do we need to know for for new or mid sized businesses that are applying? Okay, so two hundred million pounds. The and that's to cover the whole of the southwest, right? So start with that. It's the whole of the southwest. The 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 fund is for. Um, the region itself, the southwest itself, within that has been split. So they have split the southwest into two regions because it's so vast. You know, geographically, it's huge. And to your point earlier, it's not just alone. There are three different pots of money or sub funds, shall we say, that you can access within both regions. There's smaller loans and debt and equity in both regions being delivered by fund managers that have a presence, a material presence, and can be shown to deliver cash and build pipeline in those areas. So so there's three fund managers in the north of the region, and there's technically two fund managers for three funds in the south of the region. Businesses that are interested in applying, it's gap funding. We're not talking soft loans here. It's commercial product. It is a commercial product. Should reach out directly to the fund managers. Reach out to them. They will be more than happy to have conversations about your proposition, about what it is you're looking for, whether you're right for their pot of money. The Southwest isn't the most diverse of regions. Okay, walking down the street, 
well, I never see anyone that looks like me. It's very, very seldom. And I wonder what sort of percentage of people of color and also maybe females are able to access these funds? It's a big problem, not just within the Southwest. Let's make that point clear. It's within the industry itself. The Southwest, as you say, it, it does have its issues, but it is within the investing industry that there is an issue. Uh, I think the stat that stands out most to me is, I think it's around 2% investment goes to uh, female founded, solely female founded businesses. Which is shocking. And I'm just looking at yeah it is shocking silver lining of which it's there's not much it's um it's trending upwards there is more investment going to to these groups female founders but also ethnic minority led businesses between 2009 i think um and 2020 or 2019 something like that is about 0.2 0.25 i have to look it up exactly but percent 0.2 percent uh of venture capital went to black founders and, and why is yeah. that? Why do you think that is? We've, the bank, have recently published a report on this called Finding What Works, Pathways to Improve Diversity in Venture Capital Investment. So specifically on this, because we know it's an issue, a couple of key findings from it is diversity at the top. So the decision makers, these venture capitalists, um, venture capital firms, you know, particularly on the investment committee, different range of broad range of views. And, and personnel is crucial to changing that and making it making it more equitable and inclusion in the pipeline. So actually, the, the, the businesses that are led by female founders or ethnic minority leaders, you know, getting them into the pipeline of these of these investment firms, these venture capitalists, so that so that they see them is crucial. Final finding is transparency and accountability. So actually holding these firms to uh, to account for their investments and where their investments are going. A couple of recommendations for venture capital firms should consider the pathways within the report and should look to commit their approach over a sustained period. So it's not just a one-time short short hit. You know, this is this is a longer-term problem. Entrepreneurs should be looking for venture capital firms that match the business's thesis um, and where the business is looking to go. So venture capitalists, VCs will often publish the types of businesses that they're looking to invest in. Don't just shotgun approach it. You need to you need to do a bit of research as yourself as a founder to understand which VCs might be aligned to your business. It should make it easier to get in the door and have a conversation with somebody. I suppose you need to do that anyway, you know, do the research on, on who's going to be looking to your business to invest and who would be more amenable to that. Of course, of course. But you'd be surprised at the number of founders I imagine that don't do that. We recently ran another uh, bit of research that essentially showed it within the Southwest, this is about 70 percent, seven out of 10. Um, 70 percent of intermediaries think SMEs don't understand or don't have an understanding or the knowledge about finance types or their sources. So they don't know where to go to get startup funding. They don't know where to go to get debt or invoice discounting. Wow. Or so asset sounds... based lending. It sounds then like there's also a, an education issue that, that needs to happen. Huge. It's huge. It's massive, the education piece for businesses that are considering taking on external finance. You know, And within the Southwest, it's almost 50% of businesses sought external finance. So almost half the businesses, smaller businesses within the Southwest, are looking for or looked for external finance. And the, the intermediaries that we speak to, accountants, lawyers, venture capital firms, all the business support community essentially think it's about 70% of these SMEs don't know where to go and don't know who provides it. So 
there, there's a real mismatch there for businesses and, and that's part of the bank's job with making access to finance easier for businesses. Ed Talwright from British Business Bank. Lots of great advice there if you're a budding startup. Well, that was a packed episode, wasn't it? And that's all we've got time for. So thank you for listening if you've made it this far. And remember to subscribe to this Southwest Tech Daily podcast so you can get notifications every time there's a new episode. And get in touch on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn at SW Tech Daily. We would love to hear from you. We would indeed. Bye. Bye. The Southwest Tech Daily podcast.